Hello friends, this is Austin Suter, and before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about some of the articles we have going on at our website right now. I've just written a piece about why we should quit using the term woke if we mean it as an insult. We also have an in-depth book response to Shai Lin's new book, The New Reformation. Speaking of that book, I interviewed Shai about it in the episode you're about to hear, but I did so before the book came out. So if you hear us talking about it being forthcoming, know that the book is out now and you should get it immediately. Grace and peace. Grace and Peace, you're listening to United We Pray, taking racial struggles to the throne of grace. United We Pray is a ministry devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians think better about race in a way that is biblical and helpful, clear and hopeful. You can learn more about our work at youwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com, where you can find articles, old episodes, and more. I'm Austin Suter. I'm one of the co-hosts. Normally, I would be joined by Isaac Adams, but today we have a special guest. Our brother, Shai Lin, is joining us. How are you, Shai? I'm doing good, Austin. Thanks for having me, bro. Absolutely. Uh, readers and listeners will know Shy for his music, for his uh, work at Lamp Mode, as writing at places like Gospel Coalition. We wanted to have him on to talk about his forthcoming book, The New Reformation. And just by way of personal introduction, uh, you've probably got friends whose uh, impact in your life matches the amount of time you spent with them. Like if you have friends with whom you spend a bunch of time, it makes sense that they would impact your life. If you are as blessed as I am, you will also have friends who, though you haven't spent a bunch of time with them, God has still used them to bless and change your life. And for me, uh, Shy is very much that person. He has helped me think in categories that are foreign to me, uh, and he's really helped me on issues of uh, unity and diversity. And honestly, brother, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say you've changed my life and how you've helped me think through those things. So just publicly wanted to say thank you for your investment. Wow. Praise, praise the Lord, brother. And it's, 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 it's been good to get to know you over the years and see the Lord at work in your life, brother. Well, thank you for that. And thank you also for this excellent new book you've written, The New Reformation. When does it come out? Uh, May 18th. May 18th. Okay, well, we will link to the pre-order in the show notes. We've already promoted that on social media. Uh, brother, why did you want to write this book? Well, th- this book has been in the making for for years at this point. Well, what, so one of the things that I say in the book is that the the purpose of it is twofold, that it's the unity of the church and the church's witness to the world. So those are two priorities that we see in the high priestly prayer of our Lord in John 17. So in right. John 17, in 1721, right? He, he prays that the church, that we may all be one um, and for, for the purpose so that the world may believe that the father has sent the son. And so, so for me with, you know, with all of the polarization that we see surrounding this topic, my concern has been what I see as errors on both sides of the debate. Um, so I, I, I've basically been looking for a, a third way that, that recognizes the virtues of both sides and is also willing to critique both sides. And um, so this, this book is birthed out of uh, something that I've longed to see in these discussions, uh, which is basically voices that are biblical, that are humble, and that are unifying. And uh, th- those kinds of voices in my experience, at least 
as I've surveyed the landscape, those voices have been few and far between. And, and I don't know that I've achieved that <laughs> with this book, but, but that was the desire. Well, brother, I think you've done a fantastic job. And I think readers will appreciate your consistency, which has marked your entire ministry. Uh, and I think that really comes through in the book and just how uh, you're not given to tribalism. You're just consistent in, in applying biblical truth to these problems as you see them. So thank you for that. You mentioned early on in your book how um, oftentimes our perspective on ethnic unity is shaped by our experience, and that is how mm -hmm. Christians who have the same Bible and have, you know, a, have read a lot of the same books will land in very different uh, conclusions on ethnic unity and what needs to happen in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think you very helpfully shared your own experience um, in ways that was really vulnerable and honest and, uh, quite frankly, hard to read at times. Mm. Um, what did you want readers to take away from your experience? Yeah, so in the first three chapters of the book, um, so the book is broken up into, into four parts, three chapters each. So part one is my story. Um, and in those three chapters, I'm basically just sharing about my life growing up and, and my conversion and uh, just highlighting the providence of God along the way. And the, the reason why I, I began with those three chapters is it's basically, it's a way for the reader to get to know me more. And so my, my hope is that the reader will see the hand of God, not only in, in my life, but in the lives of others from the Christian hip hop community and, and just how, how he and his providence used the truth set to hip hop to do some really great things in terms of cross-cultural ministry and, and partnerships. And in those chapters, they also, they set the stage for the, the events, the cultural events that, that revealed that the ethnic divide was, was greater than many people had realized at first. And so, um, yeah, my, my inclusion of those chapters is um, in large part, you know, I, so one of the things I think is missing in these discussions um, oftentimes is empathy. Um, and, and, it's, and empathy is very important for, for any kind of, of mutual understanding. Uh, and, you know, there's a saying that, you know, empathy is birthed from proximity so that the, the, the closer you are in proximity to a person, the, the, um, the greater, uh, the potential for empathy will be there. And, um, and as, as one writing, writing a book, you, you know, you're, it's very personal in terms of people kind of spending time with the, with the author. And so, uh, so I'm hoping that that kind of proximity will, produce some empathy in, in those who read. Well, I could definitely see it doing that. And folks who are familiar with your work who might not be in relationship with a lot of people who grew up and had the same experiences that you did, I think uh, this goes a long way toward developing that kind of empathy. So mm. great job on that. You talk a lot about the role of reform theology in shaping your own thinking and uh, how the church thinks about this. And then you bring in something uh, called the low-end theory. This is something you came up with to explain how Reformed theology uh, affects discussions on ethnic unity and, and how it's been applied by different people. Can you explain what you came up with? Yeah, so the low-end theory, so it's, it's a double entendre because the low-end theory is actually actually the title of a, a popular album, hip-hop album. Tribe Called early, Quest, man. Yeah, yeah. classic uh, early 90s hip-hop album. Um, but so basically, I, so I, 
in, in one of the chapters, I, I, I go back to the, the time of the, of the Protestant Reformation. And, and also, one, one of the things that, and I didn't mention this in, in the first question that you asked, but it's important. So one of the things that I've personally been grappling with is trying to understand, um, is, is there something in particular about Reformed theology and those who hold to it, those who have held to it historically, that that produces blind spots when it comes to the area of uh, ethnic injustice. Um, and, and and that was a very serious personal question for me because uh, I, I was just trying to grapple with and understand how how do, how do we how do we understand the oftentimes the complicitness with the world um, and its kind of race based atrocities throughout throughout the centuries. Um, and so, uh, so in one of the chapters, I go back to the Protestant Reformation and just kind of look at what it was all about and, uh, and what was going on there. And, and one of the things that I discovered as I was, was researching was that it was really the, the invention of the printing press that, um, that helped to propel the spread of the Reformation throughout Europe. Um, but, but one of the things that's important to note is that back then the literacy rates were really low. And so historians estimate that it was, it was less than 10% of the European population that was literate at the time that the Reformation began. Um, and so at that time, literacy, it, it was actually tied to class. So if, if you were going to be literate back then, more than likely, uh, the thing that would determine that would be uh, wealth and access to, to, ed to education. And so in other words, the, the people who were poor or on the quote unquote low end of society, those people were at a disadvantage when it came to interacting with both the Bible and the religious writings that were being spread throughout the culture at the time. Um, and so, so, so I, I, I talk about this, this low end theory um, and, and it's really, a, it, it, it's questions that I raise. Uh, so it's, I'm not necessarily coming to definitive conclusions, but I'm raising questions like, um, could it be that because of the literacy issue, um, could it be that Reformed theology as we know it was something that for many centuries was primarily embraced and articulated by wealthy and powerful Christians? Um, and, um, you know, so even just considering the fact that, you know, in America, you think about the American descendants of the Reformation, uh, where uh, slavery had a a, a chokehold on the culture um, in America. Uh, slaves were were not allowed to be taught to. It was illegal for for a slave to uh, learn how to read. Um, and so, so you have the, this uh, huge group of people who um, the marginalized and the poor who are being left out of the uh, major discussions and formulations of uh, of the doctrine in uh, in Reformed theology and. I, I make an allusion to uh, there's a book called uh, From Every People and Every Nation: A Biblical Theology of Race by by J. Daniel Hayes, uh, and and what he points out in that book is that when you look at the major systematic theologies uh, over the last hundred hundred years uh, in America, it's um, it's striking how little there is to say about the topic of race and racism. You know, we, when you look simultaneously at what was going on in the culture at the time, it was a huge issue when it when it came to 
the the unity of the church and when it came to anthropology those, those were those were major questions that were uh, that were being asked at the time and yet um, you see so little about it uh, in in the major uh, theological works um, and so and it's not like they're silent on other sins that's right that's right absolutely absolutely and and so so then the question well why <laughs> why is that um, and you know, I, I, I think there's there are a, a number of things that uh, that could be pointed to, but I, I think really what it comes down to is a, a capitulation to uh, to the world and 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 the way that uh, the world was re- refusing to to deal justly in in the area of of ethnic injustice. I think that's really good, and I th- I appreciate how you don't draw definitive conclusions, but you sort of get the the conversation started because there's any number of ways. Uh, Christians could take that, and I hope they do. Mm-hmm. You you move from that onto racism and uh, how the world uses the term racism and how it applies the charge. And you say that the world's framework for racism is at once too small and too large. Can you explain what you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so one one of the arguments that I make in the book um, is is for for Christians as we engage with this conversation. Uh, to uh, that it's more biblical. We, we want to use biblical terminology. Uh, we want to use phrases that have a biblical basis as we uh, discuss this. And um, and it's it's one of those things that I know that we're used to talking about it in in a certain way. But if we're going to uh, make um, headway in this discussion, uh, language is important. How defining our terms is important. How we talk about things is really important. And so. Uh, so one, so one of the arguments that I make is that that biblically, uh, race as we know it is is a non-category. Um, that that the proper biblical term um, is is actually ethnicity, and and that usually when uh, when we uh, say racism today, we're actually talking about talking about ethnicity. But but what, but one of the things that I mentioned is that yeah, there's a number of problems with the with the term racism. Um, so. Uh, so race not being a biblical category, and and when I say that, I'm not saying that that racism doesn't exist. I'm just saying that when we talk about it, we can just be more biblical in how we discuss it. Um, but but that term is loaded with unbiblical assumptions, and um, and and the term as we commonly use it, it's so broad that it can that it can say too little and too much at the same time. So uh, so the example I give in the book is that when many people hear the term racism, they think KKK and and Dylan Roof, the uh, white nationalist, right? right? Um, and you know, so so in that understanding of it, racism would be conscious hatred towards a group of people uh, because of their quote unquote race uh, that would lead to violence towards them. So it, uh, you know, it, it's basically individual animosity. But then, if you know, when when we kind of get more subtle with it, um, there's other things that people mean when they speak about. Racism. So it could it could refer to discriminatory practices in in businesses. Um, it could refer to implicit bias. It could refer to uh, just negative stereotypes of groups of people. Um, and 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 that's just a few of the ways that it's used. And so the problem with that is that if <laughs> if if you have the spectrum of uh, things that could be included under the umbrella of racism, and then that term racist or race or, or uh, racism is used, the question becomes, well, well, where 
on the spectrum are we talking about, <laughs> right? So, you know, are, are, you know, is a, is a person who uh, holds to, to some negative stereotypes about a group of people, is that the same as the KKK? Um, right. You, you see what I'm saying? Um, that, There's that, no that, room for nuance. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and so if, if as Christians, we're going to address sin, especially in other believers, then it, it's important that we address it specifically and, and with biblical categories. Um, and so, so what I propose in the book um, is um, uh, to basically the, to, to talk about particular kinds of ethnic sins um, that uh, people, uh, th- that basically kind of drill down and, and, and use more nuanced and biblical language to talk about some of the things that are meant by using the term racism. I think that's great. A favorite quote of mine on this is is from an old confession of faith, which says it's the it's the duty of Christians to repent of particular sins, particularly. Mm. And I think you provide a really good framework for that. And I appreciate that you don't just rush to advice. Mm. Uh, You spend probably, uh, I I guess, in, in typical Pauline fashion, you spend the first two thirds of the book on theology and then you know, the last little bit on, you know, application. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really well done. And I wanted to close by thinking about the, the applications you provide, which is it's it all seems really like normal Christian stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're applying it a lot more specifically than just sort of the general approach of, you know, preach the gospel and racism will go away. Ethnic mm-hmm. disharmony will go away. Uh, can you can you explain your approach a little bit? Am I summarizing it correctly? Yeah, I think so. The, so, and, and that's that really gets to the point of the title of the book, the, the New Reformation. So, the the argument that I'm making is not that we need to come up with some kind of new uh, framework or you know just kind of brand new thing, uh, but but rather let's go back to the old thing, <laughs> like the thing that is tried and true and, and trusted. Um, you know, the thing that we celebrate um, when we think about the, the Protestant Reformation, the, the five solas, you know, we're, we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, based on the scripture alone, the things like the doctrine of justification and uh, the doctrine of the, the union of the believer with Christ. We're not going to throw those things away. Like th- those are ancient landmarks that should not be moved. Uh, but but what we're going to do is how, how can we look at those things and um, and apply them specifically in these areas? Um, and and so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you just mentioned like that whole phrase kind of just preach the gospel. Um, I understand when, when when brothers and sisters say that I, I, I get what they're what they're aiming for. But the the problem there is that we don't use that kind of reductionistic language with other sins, right? No. Right. So, you know, when it comes to things like lust and anger, um, you know, you know, stealing, so like we don't, we don't say just preach the gospel and, and anger will go away. Well, no, you preach against those things. Uh, discipleship is necessary to kind of work through those things. Um, and, you know, it's the, the gospel is the power of God to, enable believers to uh, not only be saved from sin, but then to continually turn from sin as, as Christians. And, and that's going to be necessary in every area of our lives, inclu- including the realm of, 
of of ethnicity, ethnic sin. Um, so so yeah, it's not it's not just preach the gospel. It's the gospel must not be lost. So we can't we can't ignore the gospel. We have to preach the gospel. Uh, but um, and <laughs> we need to apply the gospel in particular areas. Um, and and really, when it comes to these discussions, you know, we, we think about kind of normal Christian virtues. It's it's the things that we are exhorted to in the Bible. So in you know in passages like First uh, Peter three eight, where we're told to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Um, you know, things like that, uh, which are crucial when it comes to having these discuss- discussions surrounding very volatile topics. Um, you know, my, one of my primary concerns is not only the, the particular issues themselves, but how we as believers are interacting with each other concerning these issues. And those normal Christian virtues, as, as we've called them, they, they might seem less exciting to those of us who are involved in these conversations, like we, we might want something <laughs> new and something shiny, but brother, like if if Christians are humble and united in mind and are working towards these things, that is hugely countercultural, mm. both inside the church and outside of it. It's it is a new thing in one sense. And so I just really appreciated your clarity on that. Amen, brother. Well, Shai, anything else you want to talk about? I would love for us to close in prayer just as we think about these things and apply them to the church. Anything I missed? Um, yeah, I, I guess one, one thing that I'll say is I, I, I think one of the challenges of um, both social media and the, the pandemic um, is that over the last year or so, uh, we've just become much more isolated. Um, and when we think about what the Bible calls us to, uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm a firm believer that these uh, issues are not going to be resolved with a tweet or no. a Facebook post. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and um, and so, so I really want to stress the importance of the local church. I want to I want to stress the importance of relationships, cross cultural relationships, depending on your you know your particular context and and where you are, because because. Uh, we, you know, we, we're going to make headway in these discussions over the dinner table, and you know, as as we're in each other's lives and uh, and able to to sharpen each other through uh, conversation with open Bibles, and but not only that, but uh, but actually um, sharing our lives with each other in such a way that um, you know, I, I I can feel comfortable that the the brother or sister that I'm that I'm speaking to, who who may even be challenging me on some some of these particular issues is someone who knows me, who, who loves me, uh, and who has my best interest in mind and, and vice versa. And, and, and that's very important um, as, as we seek to, to strive for unity, that we're actually in each other's lives in such a way that uh, we, can, we can walk that out. Amen. And as it's often said, it's hard to hate somebody when you're, when you're praying for them and when you're in fellowship with them. So I agree with you that that's the way forward. Well, brother, if you're comfortable with it, why don't I open us in prayer and you can close us and we can just pray for the church in these things and pray that God use this book. Amen. Let's do it. Father God, thank you for my brother. Thank you for making him. Thank you for saving him in the marked way you did. Uh, Thank you for all the ways you've used him over the years. Thank you for this book. And Lord, we, uh, we don't trust in the works of men. We know that unless you build the house, labors work in vain. And so, Lord, we just pray for fruit from this book, that it would be widely read, that it would be a helpful tool um, 
for folks as, as they have these conversations. And Lord, we just pray uh, for unity in your churches, in your mm-hmm. church worldwide. Lord, we pray that believers would not demonize, that we would not apply uh, false motives, that we would not subdivide on any of the categories that the world uh, tempts us to, to divide over, um, but we would be unified as you prayed for uh, in, in John 17. Um, mm. Lord, we, we, we just pray that that unity would be a blessing to us in our churches uh, and that it would commend the gospel and ultimately, Lord, in all things, that, that it would glorify you. Mm. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And Father, we praise your holy name. Uh, we praise you that you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your grace and your kindness. Uh, we thank you that you are rich in mercy. Um, we thank you that because of the great love with which you loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Lord, you made us alive together with Christ. And Father, we thank you that, uh, that the Lord Jesus has brought those who were once far off, that, that he's brought us near by the blood of Christ, that, that he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We thank you for his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. And, and Lord, we, we thank you that, that at the cross, the Lord Jesus purchased our unity. Um, and Lord, we pray that you would help us as your people to walk in that, uh, help us to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, as we discuss these things, uh, in our uh, particular context, Lord, that that the discussions will be characterized by humility, by gentleness, by patience, and by bearing with one another in love. Lord, uh, help us uh, as your people to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, Lord, we need you and we can't do anything apart from you. Uh, and so, um, we look to you for help. Your word says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. And we pray that you would help us as your people uh, to grow in, um, in walking in the unity that, unity that Jesus purchased for us at Calvary. And we pray that you would do these things for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, brother, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for coming on. And you say May 18th, the book comes out? May 18th, that's right. Well, can't recommend it highly enough, um, and we will link to it all over the place. But, brother, thank you again for this work, for all your work. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so this has been United We Pray. Grace and peace. Oh.